Hey, good to be with you. Good to have you uh, back if you were here with us last week. If you weren't, good to have you again. Glad you're all here. I suspect you've heard this before, but it's been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I don't know about you, but according to that, I've been insane many times in my life. Most of us, probably all of us, have looked at our lives or areas of our lives at various times and have identified places that we need or would like to change. The trouble is most of us don't like change. And we like it even less when someone else initiates it. Never noticed that. Um, Peter Senge, the management guru, once said, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. <laughs> Jesus talked about change a lot. And uh, in one particular passage, Luke 5, 30-39, some religious leaders were mad at him again, as very usual. I, I think it's very common for people to be upset with Jesus and maybe sometimes his followers anyway. Uh, this time it was over the religious practice of fasting. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours just go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will be ruined, and, and the wineskins will be ruined as well. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Jesus says four things here uh, about change. The first is you can't patch something old with something new. I don't know about how many times you might have tried that, whether that's garments or careers or whatever. Sometimes it uh, just doesn't really work to patch something old with something new. He also says don't put new things into old containers. Thirdly, he says you need to put new things into new containers, the obvious from number two. And then fourthly, people who are accustomed to the old ways do not usually like the new ways. And uh, I've seen that around church quite a bit before. This uh, past January, we invited the attenders and members of our church to participate together for 40 days to fast and pray. And we suggested that this fast could be from anything with the purpose to be to deny ourselves something while making more time for God. And I was reminded uh, last night as I was thinking about um, this section of the material how there was an occasion when Jesus and two of his disciples were up on uh, the mountain, what is known as the Mountain of Transfiguration, and the other um, nine disciples are down in the valley and they're attempting to minister. This is after they've been trained and released and benef- you know, been out and the demons you know, are um, submitting to them and all that kind of stuff. However, in this particular instance, a father brought his son uh, to them and the disciples, the nine, were unable to uh, minister to him well effectively. And so Jesus comes down and gives them um, uh, ministers to this young boy. And then later on, um, the disciples say, well, what happened? How come we couldn't do this? And Jesus said to them, uh, this type or this kind requires fasting and prayer. And um, I might advocate as we think about change and as we think about that definition for change of being uh, that we often um, 
hope that change will come sort of automatically by itself, that it doesn't. And there are elements and times when we need to initiate something in order to see the kind of change. And so that was one of the reasons why we uh, initiated this fast at the beginning of the year for our church, for our leadership, for our members, so that we could experience the kind of change that many of us wanted in our lives. And we heard a, a lot of reports from various people. That time we had some testimonies. We've continued to hear some reports uh, about the benefit that people had. And one particular uh, person shared with me a, a very significant breakthrough that they had experienced. And uh, their situation, a fairly mature Christian, someone who um, you know, a lot of people look up to, but struggled with that sort of daily devotional time kind of a deal, like many of us. And uh, so their uh, decision to fast was to fast from uh, some extra sleep and made the resolve during the 40 days to get up early and to have sufficient time to actually have that time to meet with God. And they did that. They were successful through that time and have continued that uh, throughout this. And the person shared with me just a few weeks ago that, that they feel as if their life has absolutely, completely changed for the good as a result of that little change of having time on a daily basis with God and initiating the fast of what or the denial of whatever it is that needs to be accomplished in order to receive that benefit. Well, over the past uh, few months, we have been looking at identifying keys for kingdom living. We have talked about the life of Jesus and we've said, okay, he wants us to live like that. How do we do that? And we must do that by implementing changes, implementing lifestyle, implementing principles from God's Word, particularly from the life of Jesus, that when they're implemented can help us experience the kind of life that we would like to live and that God would want for us to live, like this individual that I was telling the story about, that they initiated that time with God the Father and have seen their life change, their ability to relate as family, their ability to relate as a, as a um, uh, you know, in their work situation, their career situation, as well as in many other arenas. So this morning I want to uh, particularly look at the principle or the key for kingdom living of living life on purpose. And we're going to kind of take three or four or five weeks here and look particularly at this key of living life on purpose. And this week I want to look at how Jesus lived his life on purpose. Uh, but before we head there, I'd like to just pray and invite God's presence. Father, we thank you that this is your time that this is something you have initiated and that we are coming alongside your heart and your will to gather together as your people, to reflect on your word, to remember the life of your Son, to welcome your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and live through us. And so I do welcome you to be in charge and have your way. I ask that you would help me as I speak and share to... Uh, be sensitive to you and what you're doing. As well, I ask that you would help me as I speak, that uh, I would be intelligible and helpful. And that beyond me and my words, I ask your Holy Spirit to teach us. For that is why he has been sent. Father, for our guests that are here, I particularly ask, as we've already hoped, Lord, that they would find and meet you here. 
and that we as a people would be those welcoming ones like Jesus who constantly welcomed the broken, the needy, the outcast into your kingdom. Let your kingdom reign and rule today in Jesus' name. Near the end of the book of uh, Proverbs, an Old Testament book of wisdom, the author shares a, a principle for kingdom living. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, people are aimless. I wonder how many of you have known a, a college student, or maybe you were one once, and you just couldn't settle on a major, seemed to change majors every semester. Someone who changes jobs at least annually, if not more often. When a person doesn't have purpose or direction in their life, they often go from one thing to another, often experiencing frustration and little success. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Or as the famous Texas gunslinger once said, I reckon if you aim at nothing, you'll always hit it. And I think too many of us live our lives that way. We're aimless, we're unhappy, we're not experiencing the things in life that we would like because we don't understand our need for purpose or we're lacking that clear purpose for our life. So many of us, I believe, are like characters in the video games, twisting and turning, going this way and that, running into walls and dead ends, when what God wants us to be is more like the Olympic athletes who swim and dive and run and jump and hit and throw and all those kinds of things, like arrows to the target. So Jesus, being easily described as the most influential person who's ever lived on the planet, and one of the reasons he was was because he lived his life on purpose. So this morning, this afternoon... I want to look back at, boy, you know when you've been doing that for 30 years or however many, morning to afternoon, anyway. It's morning somewhere, I like that one. So, I want to look at some of the characteristics of how Jesus aligned his life with purpose. There's a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about Jesus living his life on purpose. Let's look at just a few of those. Firstly, Jesus made right choices. Now that might seem obvious, but is it? Jesus, the Bible tells us, was fully human while also being fully God. But the Bible also describes and tells us that in some way, Jesus laid aside his supernatural, superman powers of being God. And as a result, Jesus lived his life like each of us with limitations. One of which was that he had to make choices. At the end of his life, Jesus faced perhaps the most profound human experience ever of possible pain, the scourging, the crucifixion as we looked at last week. And the night before that ordeal, Jesus had a little talk to God about it. And here's what happened. Matthew 26, 36-39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be grieved and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus, even when faced with the incredible personal cost, the sacrifice, the suffering, the pain, he made a right choice. Not my will, but your will, O oh God, be done. 
I wonder if you've spent much time thinking about why it is that though we know what's right to do, we often don't choose to do it. Why is it that we don't pay much attention to our speed until we see a police car? Why is it that when we walk out of a store and see that we were shorted a dollar, we go back, but if we're given $5 too much change, we think, ha, they make enough profit to cover that anyway. What's up with all that? There's a verse on parenting that's often quoted from the NIV translation. It says this, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. What that means is that as parents, we need to recognize that within every child is a unique person that God is making and shaping, and that parents are called to come alongside, to participate in their children's lives, to assist them to become the person that God is making them to be and to do what God is calling them to do. It's not about forming them or shaping them in the way that we think they should go, which is way too often, I think, the parenting model, of, at least here in the U.S., but instead partnering with God in helping them become all that He wants them to become. The New Living Translation gives a very interesting twist on this verse, I think. Proverbs, again, 22.6. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they're older, they will remain upon it. Some times ago, uh, I personalized a quote that I happened to see while I was driving down the road. Choices change your future, so make good choices. Jesus changed the future and became the most influential person on our planet for one reason, because he made right choices. If we're going to live our life with purpose, then we're going to have to make right choices. But how do we make right choices? How do we have the goods to be able to do that? What do we know what sometimes is even the right choice? As we've already said, there's a, a lot of choices these days that are available to us. And so Jesus not only made right choices, but Jesus did what God wanted him to do. A verse that we often quote around here from John 5, uh, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus referred to this kingdom principle of doing only what the Father is doing all through his ministry. Time and time again, Jesus said to people, as he did in John 10:38, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Whenever Jesus had a choice to make, he always made his choice based on what would please and honor and bring glory to God that which would be best for others. The cross, as we've said before, was not what was best for Jesus, but it was what was best for accomplishing God's will, and it was what was best for you and me. So one of the ways that Jesus lived his life on purpose was to make right choices, and the way he made those right choices was to do what the Father was doing. So what is that that the God is doing in your life? If you were to reflect on the circumstances of your life, what might you be able to say God is doing? Uh, just this morning, actually, Claire and I, one of our daughters, had a conversation. We have a circumstance that's arisen. And we were saying, gee, what is the Father doing in this? And we were considering that. One thing I might advocate, if you're married, something God is doing is your marriage. If you're a husband, you can be sure that one of the things that God is doing in your life is to help you love and care for your wife. 
If you're a wife, you can be very sure that one of the things that God is doing in your life is to help you love and care for your husband. If you're a parent, you can be sure that one of the things God is doing in your life is to help you love and care for your kids. And if you're a child still living in your parents' home, you can be sure that one of the things God is doing in your life is to help you honor and respect your parents. I think sometimes we look too far outside of our lives for what is God doing and what is our purpose when we need to probably start first right in our own homes. So what else might the Father be doing around you? If you're a follower of Jesus, then one of the things the Father is doing in your life is teaching you about loving His church. A lot of people say they love God but don't like the church. But the church is the bride of Christ. It's also described as the body of Christ. So it's a little challenging to say that we like the bridegroom, but we really don't like the bride. I mean, can you imagine a good friend showing up at a wedding, kind of pulling the bridegroom aside and kind of describing all the things wrong with the bride? You know, her teeth are pretty crooked. You know, she doesn't smile very much. In fact, she looks really mean. And look at that body. Whoa, Dumbo looked better than that. But people do that about the church all the time. It's the bride of Jesus. You're talking about his own body that he gave up his life for. And so I would advocate that God loves his church, even with her crooked teeth, mean look, and out of shape body. So what are ways that you can love God's church? You can talk nice about her. Tell good things about her instead of all the bad stuff that she does. Maybe you can help her get in shape. You know, see something wrong, don't condemn her. Lend a hand. Get on the treadmill with her. You can serve. One of the best ways to get a heart for something is to join in and share the load. And, of course, you can give, as we talked about in the previous weeks. God loves a cheerful giver, so give and give cheerfully. It's the best cause in the whole world. It's God's church. So, two characteristics of how Jesus lived his life on purpose. Firstly, Jesus made right choices. Jesus only did what God wanted them to do. And lastly, we'll look at today, Jesus knew his purpose. Time and time again, Jesus clearly articulated his purpose. He understood it. He declared it. He lived it. He involved others in it. And so I want to look at a few of the things that the Bible says Jesus did on purpose. And as we do that, I want to pause kind of after each one and just somewhat sort of reflect, okay, if, if that was a purpose of Jesus and Jesus wants us to live like he lived and do what he did, then what might it look like I was going to live my life on purpose in a similar way. And again, I think that switch from sort of looking at the biblical account, personal account, that's a hard switch to make sometimes. We're sort of so so familiar with these biblical words or religious words or ideas, and then to make the shift to me is a little bit hard. So we'll just kind of work on that for just a few minutes together. So what were some of the things that Jesus did on purpose? Mark 1.14.15 tells us that he brought good news. He told good news. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in this good news. So Jesus is aware, he understands that God is up to something really significant in and through his life. And one of those things was for him to declare this goodness of God that had arrived and come. So, he had the ability to declare that because he experienced it. So the question is, if we also are to be about the purpose of bringing good news, one of the things we're going to need to do is experience that. And if all we're doing is experiencing bad news, then that's challenging to share good news. If, on the other hand, we have been experiencing and ever have experienced the goodness of God, the love of God, then we should be like Jesus about the purpose of sharing the good things God's doing. So, let's just break it out into conversation for a minute. We're a small enough group to be able to do that. What could it look like for you to be one who lives their life on purpose by bringing the good news of God? I think there's some real basic statements, but then I think there's some more personal statements we could make. Jeanette. Here, hang on. Since you're going to tell a bit of a story, let me give you the microphone. Hold on. Friday I was at Jim's uh, uh, meeting with someone, and the waitress was just very, very helpful. You know, and I went overboard to just compliment her and so forth. And she came over to me, and she put her hand out, and she said, Oh, you are so nice. And I, and I said to her, Well, uh, can I tell you who has made me so nice? And she said, yes. And I usually carry a bunch of tracks with me. So I pulled out a track and I said, may I give this to you? It's about Jesus Christ. And she said, oh, I'd love to have that. And I gave it to her. And then afterwards, she came over to me and she said, will you tell my boss what a good job I did? <laughs> so I did. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's cool. Being nice to somebody. What a, what a thought. <laughs> what a concept. And they actually go, why are you so being so nice? And then a chance to say, that's cool, I like that. Somebody else, what's, what's a, a way, if, if, if we're going to live life like Jesus, if we're going to live like on purpose like Jesus, and we're going to be one who tells good news, what, what could that look like? One more, then we'll move on. Okay, encouraging people. What might that look like? Okay, so coming alongside someone who maybe is feeling discouraged or feeling sort of... um, 
just kind of down, and you come along and encourage them by identifying positive characteristics of things that you're seeing in their life. You're telling the good news, that the goodness of what you've seen in them. That's cool. All right? Second thing that Jesus did as he lived his life on purpose was he healed the sick. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And uh, here in the vineyard, we are uh, known for being a church that prays for the sick, a part of uh, what we do after our services and providing an opportunity to pray for different ones is to pray for those kinds of conditions. Yesterday, um, no, that was this morning. This morning, we do a big Sunday morning breakfast. And we uh, on, try and, yeah, Bob, big old breakfast. Anyway, Bob comes to town on Sunday mornings. Anyway, so we were sitting around our table um, and sharing something that we had need for prayer for, just as a family on Sunday morning, taking a minute to pause. And there were like, out of the six of us sitting there, I think four of them had physical needs. Uh, somebody's back, a knee, an ankle, and this and that. And we just paused in the middle of our kind of ending our breakfast time before we headed out to clean it all up and just prayed for one another, including those uh, conditions. And uh, one of the individuals has shared with me that they that it's feeling better. So that's an example of a way that we can be a part uh, of the purpose of healing others. So actually praying for those who are sick, that's, a, that's an interesting concept, you know, actually praying for the sick. You might see somebody get well. Won't probably see too many get well if you don't pray for the sick, though. Funny how that works. But let's expand this a little bit. What might it also look like if we were going to just sort of say, okay, I'm going to be about the business of seeing people well. Let's expand that well for a minute. What else could it look like? I'm sorry? Okay, taking them food, good old chicken soup from Martha's at Babcock and Hebner, I'm told has healing, uh, healing effects. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, anyway. So taking people something, okay. Visiting people when they're unwell. It's amazing. Um, I'm sure you could tell us a zillion stories, but how many are alone in those environments? Um, and what it could be like to simply have a smiling face come in and check on you is uh, pretty cool. I remember, I'm going to just interject, I've shared this story before, but it's just so uh, thrilling to me, and uh, Eddie, you take note. Um, A couple, few years ago, I was very, very ill for about six months, was hospitalized a couple of times and a bunch of other stuff. One of those times... I was down at the doctor's office. I had, he sent me off to get some x-rays. One of my older daughters was driving me around. We came back to the um, doctor's office and were in a room waiting for him to come see us after the x-ray had been taken. So I laid down on, on the thing, the gurney thing that they have in doctor's offices, that, you know, hard and paper and really you know, not very comfortable. But I was not well, and so I fell asleep. And uh, some point along, my daughter... Um, just very quietly, Daddy, the doctor's here. And immediately as I opened my 
began to open my eyes, he rested his hands on my chest and began to pray out loud for me to be healed. And a wonderful uh, doctor, I highly recommend him. He's really smart besides um, also committed to God being the healer, uh, Dr. Robert Yerrington. Anyway, great guy. And, you know, so there he is as a medical doctor, of course, his practice of helping people through medicinal purposes and needs to get well, but he's also a believer in prayer. So we can help one another. Claire, let me give you the mic. Is it Saturday or Friday? Sometime Saturday, probably. I don't know when it was. Whatever. Sometime this week, I got a sliver of glass in my finger. And it was Thursday. And it just went in, and it was like, I can't see it or feel it. So Joy dig. I could feel it, but I couldn't. we couldn't see it. I mean, it went in. There was no sticking out to pull it out. So Joy's digging at it to get it out and get it out. And we call Eddie the family doctor here, <laughs> a couple of times. And he finally got through to me. By then, she'd gotten it out. But it was cool because, you know what, he's really committed to healing. And so he told me, okay, well, if it starts getting infected, I mean, you probably didn't get it out, and you might need to go professionally and get it dug out type thing. But anyway, I don't know. I just really felt loved by both uh, Joy and Benjamin, he was holding the flashlight, and somebody else was holding me down or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then Eddie, I mean, Eddie told me, and they prayed. I mean, they were praying, God, please get this thing out. Because if you get a glass that breaks, and then it kept breaking. So bits stayed in there, and bits, you know. But it feels great. I mean, it's really healed. I mean, you can't even tell that it was even dug, it, dug into. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, one other comment I'll make is um, there was an occasion when Jesus prayed for a man uh, who was blind. And after Jesus prayed for him the first time, um, Jesus asked him, you know, kind of, how's it going? What do you think? And he says, well, I, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And what we grasp from that is that his vision was still blurred, blotchy, whatever you want to call that. I mean, he wasn't seeing clearly. So Jesus prayed for him a second time. And what I always say about that text is, well, if if it took Jesus twice, once, how many times is it going to take us more than that, more than once? So one of the ways that we can follow in the steps and purposes of Jesus, I think there's a tendency that we have to pray kind of once for somebody, but then... You know, we're kind of embarrassed, you know. We think, well, gosh, you know, if they don't get well, then we... I don't know. There's just sort of this thing. I, I would encourage us and suggest that if we're going to be those who are committed to seeing the, the, the sick healed, that we may have to pray for people a lot more times. And that sometimes there's hindrances. And, you know, this isn't a lesson on healing, which I hope to get to this year. Um, but uh, in this particular case, just to be thoughtful that um, we may have to keep on praying and initiating and welcoming the kingdom of God uh, to see healing come. So anyway, that was one of uh, a second purpose that Jesus had. A third purpose that we see real clearly is that Jesus invited sinners or those who were out of relationship with God to come into relationship with God. Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And there's just a zillion 
accounts and circumstances. Zacchaeus up in the tree, the woman at the well, all kinds of places where we see this incredibly welcoming Jesus, non-condemning, and uh, just an incredible um, picture of of what it means uh, to, to welcome people who are different. You know, real honestly, there's a temptation that we all have is that when we see someone who is a sinner, is to judge them as a sinner and sort of kind of push them out and just well they're a sinner so and lose the value somehow god was able very clearly to make the distinction between the sinner and the person he loved the sinfulness the practices and so he wasn't bothered again one of the areas that he was condemned for by all the religious people is he was hanging out with the irreligious and there is a tendency Let's just be honest, to not hang out with the irreligious because lots of reasons. But let's do examples. What could it look like if you were going to live your life on purpose in your own life, in your own setting? What what might it look like for you to invite uh, those who are separated from God or in broken relationship with God to come back to him? Could invite him to church. Okay, Priscilla wants to share one. We had somebody come to our community group two weeks ago. He actually came two weeks in a row, and he is um, definitely would be labeled by some as a sinner, um, including me. <laughs> so I was amazed at our community group and how they were able to welcome him and love him even though they knew, you know, he really shouldn't be doing some things that he's doing. So I was just very encouraged to see that, and I think something that's something that all of us can do. When somebody arrives at our community group, we don't go, stay away from him, I don't want to sit by him, don't make me sit by him, you know, <laughs> and instead welcome him as a part of the family. So. Somebody else back here, Sarah. Hang on, I'll get, we'll bring the mic around. It's easier than it's on the tape for the children's ministry. Um, my, I come from a family of a very anti-Christian family. They uh, view Christians as hypocrites, which a lot of us are. And, you know, uh, whenever my dad found out I was a Christian, he uh, was very condemning. And he felt like I was going to look down on him and that I was going to condemn him. And he actually asked me, he said, so you think that your mother and I are going to hell? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> and uh, just by loving them and by, you know, caring about them and showing them that I'm not looking down on them, that I still love them the same and that I'm not going to give up on them. And just doing that, my dad actually asked me, he said, what's made you change, you know, and, you know, he still hates Christians, he still, but there's that door that he's opened because of my non-condemning and my, you know, ability to love them no matter what, so. One other one, there was somebody over here. I just know when Shay and Jen just moved into the house, we had uh, just about enough food to feed the whole church. 
But we had a barbecue, and my wife went around to all the neighbors, invited everybody over. And uh, she goes around and invited everybody over whenever we barbecue or everybody to church. And we did have one neighbor who came over. He had to walk through my house, go through my yard, go through the fence, and over to Shay's house. Cause, uh, but uh, it, it was great because he felt comfortable enough. He was drinking a beer. We're all, you know, he had no idea who anybody was other than me and my wife. And uh, we're all just running around. The, uh, but it was just great because, I mean, he was able to come over, just be himself, and we're all just being our weird selves. But it was a place I was safe in while he was there. He's, he felt comfortable enough to open up with some things with me that he hadn't shared in the whole time that the nine months I've been living there. And it's it's just really awesome because, I mean, just simply just inviting people over has really been awesome. You know, here's a here's a thought for you, something that I I didn't really grasp. I don't know why, but I never really grasped until we came here to plant this church and we have experienced the uh, individuals and the families who have come in who have been distant from God and then who have come to Christ. Uh, here's a trick that I never got in my traditional evangelical evangelism training, if we would call it that, and that is that before people are usually willing to love God or to welcome God in their life, they want to find somebody who's loving and welcoming. And so I used to say that <clears throat> before we can really invite people to know God, we have to invite them to know us. And I think that is what I'm hearing in the many stories that have been told here. And again, as we think about um, Jesus being one who invited sinners, you know, Matthew, you know, he's sitting at his tax booth. Let's just be real honest. He's sitting there in the midst of his sinfulness because he's stealing from people. I mean, he had a job to do, but, we, but we're told that in that era that they, they stole. And Jesus said, hey, come hang out with me. That's all Jesus, Jesus didn't point a finger at him. He didn't crucify him. He didn't condemn him. He just said, come hang out. Come be with me. One of the things I think we can just really do in a, just an awesome way is have people to our homes, is have parties. Our culture is very given to, they like parties. They like food. And it's one of the reasons why in our community groups it's our goal to have parties to where people, friends, people from work and others can simply come and hang out and have fun. Play Imagine If or, you know, whatever else you're doing, ping pong at my house, whatever it is. So another way that uh, Jesus lived his life on purpose was he invited sinners to come to God. Very, uh, you know, connected one, Luke 19.10, he saved the lost. I, the Son of Man, came to seek out and to save the lost. He actually gave his life up so that they could, others could experience life, which is the next one. He gave life. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that many might have life and have it abundantly. And I think this, this gets a little bit stickier. You know, what, what does it look like at work let's say, to just take an environment where most of you, or school for those of you perhaps who aren't working yet, you know, what would it look like to give your life away for others? I remember giving my lunch to somebody in you know, elementary school once, you know. I thought I was a really some kid just there without lunch, and I gave him my lunch. That was cool. Didn't get multiplied. He was the only one who ate it, but 
It's all right. All right, one over here. I worked for many years in a vocational school, a business school. And when I left the job, you know, you're supposed to give two weeks' notice. So I gave my two weeks' notice, and I asked the Lord, what could I do that would be a testimony to my boss, a witness to my boss? Because we had talked a lot over the years. I was there a long time. We had a lot of conversations. And so I went to her, and I asked her if I could work for two more weeks for no charge, for free, that I just wanted to give her two weeks, and she could use me whatever way she needed to do, and so she did, and it was a while later that she uh, came to know Christ, and, you know, it was a process of many things, but I felt like the Lord, that was one thing the Lord gave me that I could offer to her. Somebody else. Something that I was able to say to somebody in the um, video store that I go to off of Walsham was um, she was saying that she didn't like the organized church. And I said, it's because you don't go to my church. And that was really neat to say to her. And as our, and I have been able to say that to her and talk to her and everything. And I don't know where it will go, but she... Um, I, you know, the the subject does get around to hypocrites, and I just simply said to her, "What better place for a hypocrite than in church? Because it might they might hear something that they need <laughs> to hear, and maybe God would have the opportunity to break down down that wall inside of their hearts." David, I, th- I think. In this category also falls the encouragement as well. I mean, it's a it's a very easy way to give life to people, to be encouraging, be uplifting. And um, because I work in a really large company where you have to be on your PC behavior all the time, okay, it's it's there's very little overtness that can happen. So it's got to be done in subtle ways, and so. Um, one thing is that I, in my bookshelf, I have a Bible, and while I'm working, it's out there for everybody to see, and just that has sparked a number of conversations over the years, and, um, but just being encouraging and having the encouraging word training and the ministry that we had, I've just, I've been able to incorporate that at work as well. And there's times where I know I'm just being complimentary to people, but there's other times where I know it's the Spirit that's speaking through me to them because uh, I, I can tell a difference. And that's a good way to give life. Okay, we'll just kind of move through these last three. But again, if you would uh, you know, take the notes home and and just to consider this, um, these various ways that Jesus expressed purpose in his life. Next one, he released those in bondage, Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think that... Um, 
you know, there's a lot of brokenness in our society. And there really are a lot of ways in non-condemning ways to come alongside. Some of them are pretty, you know, out there. There are AIDS hospices. Um, there are a lot of places and environments that we might not think of. Let's say the prisons. It was interesting Jesus said, visit those in prison. And I suspect that many of us are not involved in anything of that nature. Um, there's, uh, there's youth uh, juvenile hall kind of things and opportunities. And those are way out there for most of us. And yet those would be opportunities to step into the real world um, with some training perhaps and maybe come alongside another ministry area that's working there. But I think there's, uh, that's, that's, those are out there. But then there's other ways. We all know people who have, are pressed with various kinds of addictions. We know friends that are. We know family members who are. And little babies that are, no. And, um, you know, prayer. We haven't, we haven't said that for any of these yet. But to, uh, you know, come alongside and to spend time connecting with God and advocating uh, His kingdom to come into the lives of those that we know of who are uh, broken and hurting um, is, is a great thing to do. So Jesus released those in bondage. Uh, one that we kind of miss sometimes, I think, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he trained others to do what he did. Uh, following his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared alive to his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything I've taught you to do. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus was committed, as we are well aware, of him inviting others to come alongside. And again, that's at the heart of our community groups is this idea of maturing and discipling and helping people to grow by inviting people to come alongside. And, hey, how about you bring the refreshment this week? How about you open up your, would you be willing to open up your home for a couple of months and we'll meet over there? Uh, would you be willing to bring the um, the share exercise, or would you be willing able to bring a game? Could we do a party at your house? Whatever, just ways that we're thoughtful about training and helping others uh, to be able to grow up and to be more like Jesus. And again, it's something I've you know we've said before. All of us have been taught something about the Christian life. All of us have some level of resource from the one who is still sort of approaching to the one who's just kind of coming in and then those who are further along. We've all, we all have something that we can give away and give back to others. And so here is a, a, a principle, a purpose that we can live our lives by, which is just constantly be thoughtful. Is there anything I have that, I can, that I've learned, that I've understood, a principle? Is there anything I can give away to others? And it's amazing, as Camille said, you know, uh, not Camille, I'm sorry, David's situation, I don't know who's it was, somebody's situation, the whole thing, just being at a workplace or at the market or something. And if we'll be listening, Father, you know, going into these environments, Father, are you doing anything? And to have people just sort of ask questions or things come up. And again, having a ready heart uh, to be able to, to engage. You know, not the full-blown get the Bible out and start beating them over the head thing. But again, as little as kindness, just being nice to the waiter or waitress. I mean, that is a tough job, in my opinion. My wife was one uh, for a while, 
And, you know, all of us are frustrated when uh, they're not, you know, as helpful to us as we would like. Um, but they're still trying to serve, and they still are serving us. So an opportunity to uh, be caring towards them. And then um, a last one that I would just mention, and there's lots more, but First John 3, 8, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And um, again, perhaps maybe a hard one to grasp and wrestle through. What would, uh, what would that look like? But again, even having uh, the kind of heart to be willing to, as you drive through the city and and circumstances. I mean, there was a um, uh, pornography shop kind of thing just down here off of between uh, Bandera and somewhere Callahan or something like that, Summit, whatever, off to the right, you know, for years. And uh, I, every, every time I drove by there and every time my family drove by there, we just welcomed the kingdom of God to bring an end to the darkness that was... Uh, that was running and, you know, was free there. And a year and a half ago or two years ago, it shut down. And I, I, I believe, that, you know, I mean, that didn't end it for all those customers, I'm sure, that were there. But, and, and, and through prayer, we're not going to see every kind of facility, negative facility in the world, you know, shut down. But I think we can have a huge part of welcoming the kingdom of God into our city, our world, our lives, our school. You know, I think I think there's a tendency for many of us to sort of complain and just sort of <laughs> with stuff that's going on that isn't God. And instead, to, as Jesus did, uh, to speak to it. I mean, he spoke kind of angrily at times to a few people who were trying to hinder people from coming to God. That's my understanding of what he was mostly angry with the religious leaders for. Um, and uh, not so much that they themselves were bad, but that they were hindering people. So that was, uh, that was a biggie to him. So, Jesus lived his life on purpose. He made right choices. He only did what God wanted him to do. He knew his purpose. He understood his purpose. He declared his purpose. He lived his purpose and he evolved others in his purpose. And so the question I think for us, legitimately so, is how are we doing at living life on purpose? Are we living our life on purpose or are we finding ourselves a bit aimless? Are we making right choices or are we kind of saying oops too frequently? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Or are you finding yourself out on your own a lot of the time, leading and directing and guiding? Are you asking? Are you just even welcoming him into your day? Father, what are you doing? And what, what do you have for me today? It can be that simple in the morning. And there may be nothing that passes in that day, but you just might be alerted and wakened to something happening in somebody else's life. Do you know your purpose? For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, God's purpose for our lives. Here we've seen kind of a scattering picture of how Jesus lived his life on purpose and what were some of those purposes. I just want to spend the next few weeks looking at those as well. So I want you to know this afternoon that God loves you, that he has created you 
with a great purpose. And that even if you're being a bit aimless, saying oops, doing your own thing, that God is here today to invite you into an exciting purpose of life. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm just thankful that you want to bring wholeness to our lives. To where we aren't aimless. To where we aren't so frustrated, discouraged, unhappy. Constantly wishing for more, or this or that, or whining or complaining. And so I just welcome your Holy Spirit to help us to grasp and understand the purposes that you have given us that are not quite as huge as we might think. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come even today as we have reflected on these few uh, purposes of Jesus that we could be those who would leave from here uh, thoughtful of being that kind of a person to others. Lord, I just, I just love, um, I just love Jesus. I just love reading about him. I just love seeing that incredible welcoming, that ability to just hear you and to, uh, to speak to people. And I do welcome your Holy Spirit, to transform us into that kind of person. And Father, for each of us, we're, we're all at different points and places in that training process. And you're using others, you're using circumstances, you're even using our own weaknesses to grow us up. And I thank you that you are involved and that we're not left alone. Father, I pray for those who um, don't have the connected relationship of others that are walking beside them, journeying with them, that you would help them become connected in community groups and with mentors and those who will walk and journey towards that wholeness that you have in heart and mind for us. And Father, particularly for those that are here today who are aware of circumstances, situations, in their lives, patterns, habits that just really have them discouraged, where they really need and desire to see change, I welcome your kingdom to come. Lord, and if this is the kind of thing that needs some prayer and fasting, some denial and some advocacy of purpose, I welcome you to do that and to help us recognize the need for that. Father, we all want to be more like Jesus. We want to grow up. And I thank you that you're committed to helping us as a loving daddy wanting to help us grow to be all that we could be. And Father, as we, over these next few weeks, just uh, look at our purpose again and are reminded of how what you have communicated and how we're to proceed, might we become a people of purpose? Might we become families of purpose? Might we become small groups of purpose? Might we become a church of purpose? 
that we could change the world. Father Jesus changed the world when the early church is said to have turned their world upside down. The whole Roman Empire is said to have been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that happen again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and would like someone to just pray with you about whatever those issues, concerns, needs are that are in your life for change. Um, would love an opportunity for us to pray with you. We'll have some folks up here in just a minute. Uh, if you're in need of a physical uh, healing for uh, any area of your life, we would love that opportunity as well. Some of you may have questions or concerns, um, just not quite understanding or grasping things that are happening in your life. And again, these folks would love that opportunity to speak with you, pray with you, and talk with you to let God's kingdom come in your life. So, Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Might uh, you go forth as his ambassador of good news. Have a great week.